Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, March 10th, and this is your FT News Briefing. It was supposed to be a quiet day on Wall Street. Then, big banks tumbled. The leaders of France and the UK are finally meeting. It's the first time in years. And Mexico's currency is hot, even though the economy is not. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The four biggest banks in America lost more than $50 billion in market value yesterday. Investors were spooked when a big California lender called Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, revealed earlier this week that it wanted to raise $2 billion in a share sale to shore up its finances. And it had taken a big hit after selling a portfolio of assets to raise cash. Here's our U.S. Markets Editor Jennifer Hughes on why the sell-off spread to other banks. Yeah, it's really the example that Silicon Valley Bank set. Because SVB has now said, we needed to raise cash by selling our portfolio of assets. And by the way, we lost $1.8 billion in doing it. So then we've had this read across to the other banks was people say, well, if SVB loses that much, I wonder how much a JP Morgan might be losing. What's it holding? And starting to ask questions around that. But Jen, why do they see this as a problem that's broader than SVB and not just trouble at that one bank. Absolutely, the SVB bank has got more problems than the big banks who are all really well capitalized. But all of the big banks hold massive portfolios of assets, which would include a lot of bonds. And all bond prices have fallen in the last year as interest rates have risen. So it's not a new fact, but SVB has kind of crystallized everyone or forced them to start thinking about this. And that's really what we think happened in this sell-off. That's the FT's U.S. Markets Editor, Jennifer Hughes. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and French President Emmanuel Macron are meeting in Paris today. It's the first bilateral summit between the two countries in five years. They're aiming to ease post-Brexit tensions, among other things. To find out more, I'm joined by the FT's political editor, George Parker. Hiya, George. Hi there, Mark. So I want to ask you what each of the leaders is hoping to get out of this meeting. Let's start with the UK. What's Sunak's top goal here? I think the main priority, the overarching strategic priority, is just basically to get the relationship back on a normal footing. Over the last five or six years since Brexit, relations have been the opposite of whatever an entente cordiale is. It's been in a deep freeze. The relationship's been terrible. As long as Boris Johnson was prime minister, there was absolute distrust, something close to loathing, I think, probably be fair to say, from the Elysee Palace towards the British prime minister. Rishi Sunak has changed the mood without a doubt. He's helped to improve that further by getting this agreement on the Northern Ireland protocol, part of the Brexit deal that Boris Johnson signed, of course. And so they see this summit really as a chance to reset the relationship across a whole range of areas, whether it's defence cooperation, energy cooperation, or indeed the topic of the moment in the UK, the question of migrants coming across the English Channel from France in small boats. And Macron, what does he want to get out of this? The relationship between the UK and France is bedeviled by the fact that both countries are rather too similar in some ways, that they've got this imperial past, slight delusions of grandeur on both sides, I suspect. But they have to live together. We're neighbours, we share energy interconnectors, we are both members of the UN Security Council, of course, 
And so Macron sees an opportunity really to improve business ties and to show that Europe actually can make a difference militarily, in particular on their own continent in the context of the Ukraine crisis. So you'll hear a lot of stuff at the summit about cooperation on military equipment, joint exercises, and a sort of coordination of efforts in terms of providing equipment and training to the Ukraine forces. So you had talked about the chemistry between Macron and past UK leaders. How does this relationship with Sunak compare? Yeah, and the relationship is much better. Emmanuel Macron and Rishi Sunak see a lot of themselves in each other. They both come from a financial services background. They're both quite technocratic. They are about the same age. And when you see the two of them together, they're <laughs> sharply suited. And, you know, they, they see eye to eye and they both see in each other someone that they can do business with. And that's totally different to the kind of shambolic, chaotic approach that Boris Johnson took. So the fact that Rishi Sunak has worked very well behind the scenes with the EU to settle this long-standing dispute on Northern Ireland, I think has stood him in good stead with Emmanuel Macron and allowed the two of them to put this relationship back on a much more even footing. George Parker is the FT's political editor. Thanks, George. Pleasure. Also meeting today to ease tensions is U.S. President Joe Biden and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. You see, the EU is upset about something called the Inflation Reduction Act. The new American law provides massive amounts of funding for green energy investment, and it's already luring European businesses across the Atlantic. Yesterday, the European Commission released a rival green subsidy plan. One official involved called it, quote, quick and dirty money to match the Americans. Mexico's currency hit a five-year high this week. The peso is now the best-performing currency among major economies this year. That's despite Mexico's not-so-great economy. To talk about this, I'm joined by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin. Hey, Katie. Hey, Mark. How are you So, Katie, Mexico's economy has barely grown in the past five years. It's still struggling to recover from the pandemic. Why are investors so excited about the peso? So, as you say, the Mexican peso is having a great old run. It's up about 8.5% so far this year. You compare that to South African rand, which is down about 7%. And it's the, the peso is well ahead of uh, the Brazilian real, for example. So, it's having a great old run. As you say, the economy is not necessarily um, proving that exciting, but it's benefiting from a number of kind of really big factors that are running through global markets at the moment. One of them is just the interest rate is just so incredibly high. It's at about 11%. The central bank has raised rates 10 straight times, 10 times on the bounce for between half and three quarters of of a percentage point a time. Um, Generally, the rule of thumb is the higher the interest rate, the stronger the currency. Okay, so interest rates are a big factor. You mentioned there are other factors at play. What else is driving the peso higher? So, you think about some of the really big themes at the moment in in kind of global corporate strategy, and one of them is around nearshoring or friendshoring. So the idea is that companies don't necessarily like to rely on supply chains that are super far away in China. When we've seen what happens when when a pandemic strikes, so it's much more appealing to rely on supply chains that are that are nearby and in countries that you have relatively friendly relationships with. So that pulls a lot of manufacturing over to over to Mexico. 
The other thing is the US Inflation Reduction Act, which, among other things, involves throwing enormous amounts of money, like gigantic amounts of money. And it also has some benefits for Mexico. So it it gets looped into this. And so that's why you see, for example, BMW, the car makers, going to spend 800 million euros on expanding electric vehicle production in Mexico. Tesla has said that it's going to spend a lot of money in Mexico. This just brings a lot of money into the Mexican economy and, um, and again, is, is really beneficial for the currency. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thanks, Katie. You're welcome. Before we go, a judge in Brooklyn, New York yesterday sentenced Roger Ung to 10 years in prison for his role in the 1MDB scandal. It's one of the biggest financial scandals in history. Last year, a jury found the former Goldman Sachs banker guilty of conspiring to violate U.S. bribery laws, launder money, and skirt his bank's internal accounting controls. U.S. authorities allege $4.5 billion were embezzled from 1MDB, which is a Malaysian state investment fund. The money was used for a global spending spree on luxury real estate and jewelry, among other things. Ng plans to appeal the judge's decision. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Sonia Hudson, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from David DeSilva, Michael Lello, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.